what Jesus said to the religious leaders of his day, but it is also very much needed in our day because we are seeing some of the same tendencies that I think Jesus spoke against while he was on this earth, and so Paul addresses it. Um, here's, here's kind of the, the, the setup for this. The church has always intended or has been intended to be a place of diversity. Not everyone was like-minded. Not everyone came from the same race. Not everybody came from the same social state. Not everybody was alike. One of the difficulties the church has always faced is that it included members um, from the rich and the poor, from the powerful, the powerless, from every level of society, the old and the young, adults, children, conservatives and radicals. Everybody has been a part of the church at some point or another. And what that means is that the church has to figure out how to live with people who view things differently. Um, the Bible even tells us that people from every nation will be present in heaven. So if we don't figure out how to get along on earth, we're not really going to figure out how to, or we will have to figure out how to get along in heaven. So there's no reason to assume that a people this diverse will see eye to eye on everything. We're just not. We're not going to see eye to eye. The commands of God are the same for us all, <clears throat> but we each live with different convictions. Now, this is, where, this is where Paul's at. And I want to make this clear from the very beginning. The commands of God are not up for interpretation. What God says we must do, we must do, all of us. What God says we must not do, none of us are allowed to do, all of us. But there are areas in which God has left things open-ended. That doesn't mean that he doesn't know what he wants, but what it does mean is that there's going to be differences for different people about how they live, about how they respond to those things. So convictions are things that God has placed on our life, things that God has put on us, but he may not have placed that same conviction in the life of our neighbor. This is where Paul's going to be at today. So if you have a conviction from the Lord, I believe that's a law for you, but it is not a law for someone else. And so that's important. So I hope that as we get into this, we can know the difference between the things that are laws and the things that are convictions so that we can see where Paul's going. So today, Paul's going to help us understand how to live in loving harmony while still being true to the will of God in our own lives. What is the difference between unison and harmony? Unison is all the same, right? Harmony, there's different notes, but they blend together to make a beautiful sound. That's what the church is to be. That is what God has called us to be. We are not going to be all the same. Look at all the different passages where Paul says, we're, we're a body of Christ. There are hands and there are feet, there are eyes, there are ears, there are, there are mouths, there's all these things. We work in harmony, not always in unison. And that's important for us to know the difference. So the sermon in the sentence is this. As followers of Christ, we must live a life of faith and abstain from judging other believers because we will all be judged by the Lord. So let me read you this. This is not all of the chapter. We're just going uh, verse 1 through verse 12. Romans chapter 14, verse 1 through verse 12. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but do not quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. You are who, I mean, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master 
that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For as it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue confess to God. So then each of us will give account give an account of himself to God. Okay, so to begin with, and this is the, the big general practical message, we are not judges. We are not judges. God has not appointed anybody to be a judge. When you look through the New Testament gifts, you can see preacher, teacher, you can see servant, you can see a lot of different titles and gifts and, 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 and things, even discernment. But what you don't see is the gift of judging because he didn't give that to us. Now, I want to go ahead and define what judging is biblically because that's something that, that tends to come up a lot. In the Bible, judging is not thinking badly about somebody or even evaluating what they have done or what they're doing. Judging is passing a sentence. When you go to court and you get guilty, or when you're proven guilty, then the, the judge judges you. He issues a sentence to you, and then you begin to serve that punishment. When you read the Bible, and the Bible says God's going to judge people, does that mean he's going to think bad about them? No, it means that he's going to do something. Judgment is doing something. Okay, so there is a big difference between evaluating actions, because I've heard this as a defense a lot of times. People go out, they do something that they know is a clear violation of the Word of God, and then they'll point their little finger at a Christian and say, you can't judge me. Jesus said, don't judge. Well, we're not going to judge you. We're not going to punish you and send you to hell. But if you keep doing that because the Bible says something clear about it, then you might find yourself there. That is an okay Christian attitude. We want to be better than that. But that is, that is the Christian attitude is that we're not going to be the ones issuing judgment, but we do know what is right and wrong. What Paul's talking about today is not the things that are expressly right and wrong. It's the things that there's some room to... to allow different people from different walks of life to come in together. And so we'll look at several of these as we go into this. We'll, we'll see some of the things that Paul brings out. So Bible scholars really have struggled to understand the exact context of, of what Paul was dealing with here. Was there a group or a couple of groups in the church that were arguing? Maybe it wasn't even groups. Maybe it was individuals. And Paul had met somebody that had been to the church at Rome and knew they were struggling with this. Or maybe he just wanted to include this information. But there are some times where it seems like he's talking directly to someone. So, we know he's dealing with people who have different convictions about things such as food and special days. And so when we look at the Bible, does God command us to eat meat? No. Does God forbid us from eating meat? 
not in the New Testament anymore. There was a time where there were certain types of meat that people couldn't eat in the Old Testament, but he has opened that up for everybody. So this is not an area where you can say, if you don't eat meat, you're sinning. Or if you do eat meat, you're sinning. You can't say that. What about feasts and, and, and festivals and special days? Can you imagine a Jewish person that comes to know Jesus as their Savior? The way they're going to understand Jesus, they're going to understand him as the Messiah. The Messiah that was promised by the prophets, who were prophets of God, who delivered the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, they received instructions about these feasts, these holy days, these days that they were supposed to celebrate. You think just because they become a Christian, they're going to stop celebrating the, the, the wonders of what God did? You know, Passover, for a Jewish person, is still about Egypt. And so, do you think that just because they become a Christian, they're going to stop thanking God for bringing them up out of Egypt? That's going to continue for them. And so, what Paul is saying is that, you know, some people are going to recognize these days. Some people are not going to recognize these days. And that, that is an area where God has given liberty. So, there may have been factions, there may not have been, but we could easily see where people would have been coming from different ways. So, one thing is clear. Paul enters this discussion with the presupposition that Christians have tremendous liberty in Christ. That is one thing that is abundantly clear. So, when he refers to a person who is weak in the faith, he doesn't mean that that person barely believes in Jesus. So, what he says in verse uh, 1 of 14, he says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. So, <clears throat> he's not referring to somebody that barely believes in Jesus. He's referring to someone who doesn't understand the conduct implied by faith. So faith, from what we have been taught in this book of Scripture, brings us to a point where we are justified. Justified means we have been declared innocent. And, and even more than that, it means that we have been declared as if we have never sinned. We have been declared as if we have fulfilled every obligation of the law. That is what God has said about us. Now, if you're like me, you're sitting here saying, well, God... I'm glad you said that because I hadn't quite made it to that level. But the reality is God's already declared that. So Christians do have liberty on this earth. Does that mean we can go out and sin? Absolutely not. That's not even in the conversation. You've got to put words in this to make it say that. That's not what Paul's saying. But what he is saying is that where there's an area that God hasn't explicitly said, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, where he has not given a clear command, there is liberty for us to come from different walks of life and to live out our faith. And there are going to be things that, that really affect different people. So you take some of the people that would have been pagans. When they saw Jesus, they saw a pure life. They saw something completely different than what they were used to. So when they come to Jesus, all of those things, all of those excesses, are going to seem like their old life and bad. And they're going to want to get away from that. And so they might have some rules for themselves in their lives that don't necessarily apply to anybody else, but they believe, I'm not going to that place. I'm not going to partake in this. I'm not going to associate with these people. They're going to have some rules. That is a conviction. It's not a command. Now, for them, it's a command. For them in their life, it's a command because God revealed that to them. But it's not something he said in his word. So what are we supposed to do with that? What are we supposed to, how are we supposed to deal with that? So in the context of this conversation, what Paul's talking about here, um, he mentions meat, 
Uh, he mentions wine. He mentions the observation of special days. So that's where he's talking. So he brings these up as things that are, they're not always 100% right or wrong. And so what does it mean? So applicable topics for the church today, we still don't know what to do with alcohol, to be totally honest with you. Um, required church attendance. That would be something where some people that are at church every Sunday might be thinking, well, so-and-so missed church again, and they're judging them right away. That, that might be a thing. And so maybe there are things like that going on. Appropriate attire. Um, you know, depending on... So I, I don't watch a lot of church on TV, honestly, but one trend I've seen lately is you got guys preaching and they're wearing shorts and flip-flops and real casual stuff. There's nothing in the Bible about that. I mean, it rubs me the wrong way, but there's nothing in the Bible about it. So what do you, what do, you do with that? That is, not a, that is not a command, thou shalt wear a suit. Because if it did say that, it'd probably say a tie too and I would struggle. So the reality is we have to understand that there is liberty in Christ. So the, public, the proper attire might be one of those areas where, where God has given some grace and allowed people to follow their own convictions. Preferred Bible translations. I don't hear the argument as much as I used to, but when I first became a preacher, early 2000s, people were fighting, I mean, almost fisticuffs over the translation of Bible. I don't hear it as much anymore, but that was a thing for a while. And, and there, are, there are denominations, there's different ways of doing things. These are things that people might argue about today. These are things that people might get into discussions leading up to maybe even a fight or a split or a whole new denomination being made. So the Bible probably does speak on all of these topics that I named, definitely all the topics that Paul named. It definitely speaks. But in many cases, there are not clear commands given from God. God gives us guidance about these things. So what's the guidance about clothing? If you were to just use one word, probably modesty, right? That would be a, a, that would be a good guidance. That, doesn't, that means different things for different people. That means different things in different cultures. But that would be a word that would say, that's guidance from the Bible, that we would be modest in what we wear, how we present ourselves. Well, what about, what about alcohol? At least you would say the guidance would be moderation, right? It says don't be an alcoholic. So at least moderation would be a word there. But folks can't have it that way. Folks cannot have it that way. When you, when you look at churches, it is almost always all or nothing. We've got to have a law or we've got to have no law whatsoever and no, no guidance. We can't have it as what maybe God might have intended. And that is trouble. And that's what Paul is addressing today. So I mentioned that this is some of the same things that Jesus was dealing with with the religious leaders of his day. And that's something that we've got to realize is the religious leaders of, of Jesus' day, they thought they were perfect. And anybody that didn't live like them, they judged them. In the biblical sense, they would judge them in some cases. Jesus spoke harshly about that. He called them hypocrites. Now, a hypocrite is a word from Greek theater. Used to, they didn't have microphones and things like that to help a voice. And so they had these big, huge masks. And they wore emotions on the mask. So it would be happy person, sad person, whatever. But inside, there would be a little megaphone to amplify the voice. The technical name for that thing, that mask with the megaphone, was a hypocrite. But that was somebody that was pretending to be something that they're not. And so Jesus said to his religious leaders, you are being, pretending to be something that you're not. You're pretending to be holy. You're no more holy than the people you're judging. And I believe that that same heartbeat 
is what's in what Paul's saying today is the fact that we sometimes are, are, are willing to judge people because we have a conviction one way, they have a conviction another way, so we're saying that we're the holy ones, they're saying they're the holy ones, and all along, God has, has given some liberty, and we don't understand that, so we fight about it. So, God has granted Christians the privilege of living according to the Spirit rather than following a lengthy set of laws. So, if we were to think about practically, what would it look like if God made a law about every possible human interaction or every possible scenario? That would be ridiculous. The Jews tried to do it. In fact, that was one of the things that they spent a lot of time was writing laws that God didn't write to clarify the laws that God did write. That would be so tedious, nobody would ever get anything done. So God has allowed us to follow the Spirit. Now, again, that's not a license to sin. If you're obeying the Holy Spirit, He's not going to lead you into sin. But He might lead you into an area that another Christian might not be led into. And so that's where we have to understand the differences there. We have to understand what God is saying. So, people do not come to Christ as a clean slate. We all come with different experiences, things that have shaped us. Some of those things we just have to cast away. But some of those things are going to affect the way that we follow Jesus. I have met people, uh, when, I, when I worked at the Lifeway store in Oxford, there was a man who loved to carve these little crosses. So he loved to work with his hands. So when he came to know Jesus, he carved these little crosses that people could hold in their hands. Well, we actually sold something for like $30. Well, he wanted to just give them away. And so we let him have a little bowl, and it sat there in between some chairs, and people just came and took them. His past experience affected the way that he followed Jesus, because for him, that was now, that was his ministry. So we all are going to come with different experiences, and those experiences are going to dictate the way that we follow Jesus. And that's what I mean by that. So people... Um, People are going to see the world differently before they're Christians, and it's going to change the way they live, their lifestyle. So, there are not commands that Paul's giving us about, should we eat meat? Should we drink wine? Should we observe certain days or not? Those aren't the commands that Paul gives us. But he does give us two clear commands, both of them in verse 1. He says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. You can translate that word, accept him, also. So that is the first command that he gives us, is that we should welcome the one who is, who is different than us. Even if that puts them in the minority, even if they believe differently than, than, than maybe most people do, if they are a believer, we are to welcome that person in, to accept them with open arms. Christian love demands no less. We are to do that. The second thing that he tells us that we are supposed to do is not argue over things that could be considered opinions. Notice what he says. Welcome him, but do not quarrel over opinions. I wish I could go to every church that's meeting all over the world right now and all their little streamy online services and say, do not quarrel over opinions. Wouldn't that be worth saying to everybody, every Christian, do not quarrel over opinions? Because everybody has opinions. And everybody, the opinion that everybody has of their own opinion is that it's correct. 
But we don't fight over those things. Those are not what we fight over. We do not do that. We shouldn't do that. That is the clear command. He doesn't tell us what we should do about meat or wine or special days, but he does tell us what we should do about arguing over opinions. Do not do it. That is a clear command for us. So, we know the commands of God, and he has made those very clear. But there are areas <clears throat> that would be um, left ambiguous. Um, they're, they're not a matter of debate, but they are something to be dealt with with each individual. <clears throat> and so if the Bible doesn't say specifically, if you're looking at your life and examining your life, as we should, if you're examining your life and the Bible doesn't say specifically, now this is where knowing what the Word of God says is very important, but if the Bible doesn't say specifically something about your life, what you're about to face, then you have to rely on the Lord. Well, it's the same way as if we're thinking about changing jobs. It doesn't say anywhere in the Bible, thou shalt work at fill in the blank. So what do you do? You pray, you seek God's guidance, you look for what He is leading you in your life to do. Well, it's the same way with these areas that would be convictions and not commandments. We have to do the same thing. We also have to be mature enough as a Christian to recognize that people are going to disagree with us. And in those cases, we've got to be able to show grace. We've got to welcome that person. We've got to not argue with that person. Those are important things. So put yourself in the shoes of somebody that has prayed, has felt the Lord lead them in their own life to either abstain from something or partake in it, and then another Christian comes along and criticizes them for it. How would that feel? If you were that person, how would that feel? I prayed about this. I got clear guidance from the Lord on this, and now you're going to criticize me, tell me I'm doing the wrong thing. That would be difficult to accept. And so that is what Paul is trying to prevent here. <coughs> so <clears throat> Paul uses the example, as he deals with these things, he uses the example of someone who eats anything uh, and another person that only eats vegetables. So interestingly enough, this debate's still going on in the world. I don't think it's happening in the churches. Um, but if you've ever met a vegan and talked to them for a little while, I'm sorry. Um, so one of the things that we see is that in this example, Paul t tells each person to treat the other with tolerance, to be willing to kind of let live and live in an area where God's not clearly in command. That doesn't mean that if somebody is prone to lying all the time that we just say, well, you know, God must have let them do that. That's not the same thing. God gave a command. But where it's an area where somebody is within the faith, they're within the confines of the Word of God. They just believe differently than we do. That's where you show liberty. That's where you show grace. That's how we get along with each other. So, one interesting point in church history is that more often than not, the people Paul is describing as weak, those are the ones that land in power. You look back in church history, and you see that a lot of times it was those weak ones that, had, that, that took convictions and made them laws. They enforced them universally across their church, or if they had a bigger audience, even larger. I'm thinking the Catholic Church, um, but probably one of the most prominent that would surprise you was a guy named John Calvin. I don't know if you know this, but John Calvin got control of a whole city. And in that city, he had a, a court, and he could hold people accountable in that court. And there were cases in which, now he didn't have the authority to have people killed, but he had enough influence to make sure they died by, you know, by the law, by the state over convictions, over opinions. In some cases, or in one case, a man just simply criticized something that he said, 
And the next time he visited Geneva, where, where John Calvin was the boss, that man was executed. So what we have to realize, that's not at all what the church is supposed to be. That is a clear violation of what Paul's saying here. We don't judge in that way. We don't have that authority. We don't have that place in our lives. That's real judging. That's real judging when you have the authority to actually put somebody into punishment or even death. That's not something that we should ever have a part of, ever. So, in some cases, we have to understand that it may not be the same kind of judging that maybe a, a John Calvin would have done, but, and I don't mean to disparage John Calvin, but that was just an example, and there are many, there are many, that's just the one that I had, um, Maybe people don't have that authority to judge, but they walk around with an elitist sort of mentality. Well, I use this version of the Bible, so I'm the one that really knows what God says. I've got the Word of God, and other people just have cheap imitations. I've heard that. I've seen people say that. And, and then they've said it for other things as well. That elitism, that's going to violate what Paul's saying here as well. That's going to be against what he's telling us to do. So we've got to be careful about that. We've got to be watchful for that. So the list of ways that this might apply, it could go on indefinitely. I could, I could stand here for a long time and list things, but we're not going to do that. Um, we get a clear statement from, from Paul about what we should and should not do. First of all, we should never pass judgment on another believer over something that does not violate the clear word of God. So if they are going around coveting, if they're going around lying, if they're going around stealing, if they're going around murdering, we go to them, and we'll probably take them to the police for some of those, but we talk to them and we call what they're doing sin. We say what God says about it. But if they're not breaking God's laws, it might be fair to have a conversation just to see where they're coming from on that, because in some cases they may not have put thought into it. But we go loving, we go peacefully, and we make sure that we don't let it become an argument. Those are the things that we have to do. That's where we find our guidance. We leave the judging to God because that's his job. We are not the judge. So you can almost see Paul pointing his finger at someone and saying, who are you to pass judgment? He says, who are you to pass judgment on someone else's servant? You can almost see him pointing the finger at that point. And that, that is alarming because I'm reading this, so he must be pointing the finger at me. Who am I to pass judgment on someone else? Well, the answer is not worthy. I'm not the one to pass judgment. That's what we have to realize. I know what the Word of God says, and I can apply that. But if it's some ambiguous area, then I've got to let that go because I'm not the one to pass judgment. So whether we would be what Paul would consider strong or whether we would be what Paul says is weak, we need to remember that we all serve the Lord um, and he is the one who will judge us and he will judge us faithfully, he will judge us fairly. That's what we need to realize. One thing this isn't, this is not against mutual accountability. That's totally different. So people enter into agreements where a friend will hold another friend accountable. That's not what Paul is forbidding here. What he is trying to say is that we must understand that our ultimate accountability lies somewhere else. So 
as he continues in chapter 14, he says, and I better hurry because I'm not going to be talking much longer. But what he says is that we know that we are accountable to the Lord so the words and deeds of others should not cause us to stumble. Because this is in the Bible, does this mean nobody will ever judge you again? No. They're going to judge us. Christians are going to judge us. People are going to criticize us. But we have to know what we know. If you know that person isn't supposed to be doing that, sure, you could probably try to address that. But one thing that you should do is remember, well, God is my judge. And I have went through this with God. I have already spent time talking with the Lord about this. And then move on with your day because it's just not worth the fight. It's not worth trying to convince someone else of your point of view. People rarely ever see things the way we see them anyway. So you can see that Paul is making it clear here. He has instructions for both the strong and the weak concerning things that God has not specifically commanded. So if we are of the opinion that something should be abstained from. We need to be fully convinced about that. And, and, and when we abstain from it, intentionally abstain from it, we need to give thanks to God and declare that this act is for the Lord. When we have determined that this, whatever it is, is a gift from God and we're going to enjoy it, then we need to give thanks to God and be fully convinced that he has told us that. This isn't licensed to go reinterpret the Bible. It's licensed to look at the things in our lives and understand them. Everything that we do, <coughs> we must do to honor the Lord. <clears throat> if God has led you to abstain from something, don't wallow in self-pity. Well, I used to could do this, but I can't anymore. You know, it would be great if God laid a conviction on my heart. Adam, you cannot exercise ever again. You know, and, and if God gave me that conviction, you know, I wouldn't just lay around and say, oh, man, I wish I could go run 15 miles today. But God has forbidden it, so... No, that would be self-pity. That's also not the attitude I would have. Uh, we would enjoy that. We'd say, thank you, Lord, for you know, keeping me from this and, and praise Him for that. That's how we would have to respond, whatever it is. I know that's a silly one, but there are some real ones, and God would be able to... Uh, or we would be able to worship the Lord in those things. We are not living for ourselves. We're not living for any other person. That's important for us to know. We have a much higher calling in our life and a much greater audience. We live every day of our lives for the Lord. That's important. It's not for the world and the watching eyes that are around us. It's for the Lord. That's a higher standard. It doesn't take much to get the world's approval. Just compromise on his word and you've got it. You're their buddy. But it takes a little bit to get God's approval because we have to obey his word. We have to walk in the spirit. We have to walk carefully and we have to honor him with what we say and do. So the last point, much shorter than the first point, we will answer to God. So it's important for us to notice in this passage, the bad guy is not the strong person in faith or the weak person in faith. The bad guy is the one that wants to judge another brother in Christ. You know, we're not required to eat meat or forbidden from eating meat. We are not required to observe special days and we're not forbidden from observing special days. You know, I have, I've seen different people and the special days thing is a little bit of a trend in the church. There are people that do not like a service to be special on like the 4th of July or Memorial Day or Veterans Day or something like that. They don't like to, that to be recognized. They say, well, that's, that's, that's worldly, worldly stuff. We don't need to be engaged in that. Well, I think that this talks about that. 
that if you are in a church that, that feels strongly about their nation, and we want to thank God for our nation, if we know that we're doing that for the Lord, let's thank God for our nation. If you're in a church that doesn't feel that way, well, maybe don't force that on them. But I believe this is an area of liberty. And it is not for any one person or another to say, hey, that's wrong. You know, there are, there are people that would be offended if, you, if they walked into the church and saw an American flag standing as, as, as part of our decor. They would be offended. That's none of their business. It's a conviction among us about how we want to respond. And I believe, personally, conviction, this country is a gift from God for us. We are free to proclaim the word of God in this country. We can make disciples in this country. And we can leave this country with reasonable freedom going other places and sharing the gospel. I don't see that as a problem. That is part of what God has given us. And I thank him every day when I sit down and eat food. So I might as well thank him when I realize that I'm eating food in the land of the free. Might as well continue to thank him. So when we consider these things, God didn't give us special direction, but we are uh, required to obey our conscience, but not the conscience of someone else. So someone else comes in, tries to judge your life. Well, that's not for them to do. So the applications, again, once again, they're endless um, and because there are many things in which God hasn't given a clear command. But the clear command that is given in this passage is that we are not to be judgmental and that we are not to be judged by others. You see, we are free from the power of the world, including judgmental people. Yes, they're going to say things, but we are free from that. Just as we're free from the world and free from the constraints of the world, we're also free from judgmental people in the church. We will not be judged by man because we will be judged by a far greater authority. If you had to pick, if you were going to be judged based on your works, would you choose a man who might sympathize with you because he knows the weakness of man, or would you choose God who will be fair? You know, the reality is we might would rather be judged by a man, but God is our judge. And the thing that we have going for us is that he has justified us before he judges us. So yes, we will be held accountable, getting ahead of myself, we will be held accountable, but we are also saved by grace. So, each of us will stand before the judgment seat of God, and in that day, everything will be made public. Everything will be laid out. When we stand before God, we cannot stand as proud conquerors of the world. Look at the verse that he quoted. Verse 11, For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. When we stand before God, we will not stand proud. We will not stand as conquerors or brave. We will stand as servants. We will kneel. We will be humble. People that walk around with an air of superiority, they've forgotten that we will one day bow before the Lord at his judgment seat. We are not anything greater than anyone else. We are saved. There is a big distinction there. We should never act proud because we will be humbled before God. Not only will we be humble before God, but every one of our works will be evaluated before him. Not just what we do, but why we do it. That's important. He will observe the things that we did. He'll observe the things that we did not do. And this may strike fear in our hearts, um, but, but he will also observe attitudes, secret thoughts that we've had towards other believers. 
So if someone says a name, and immediately you go to a negative place when they say that name, God knows about that. We've got to find some way to deal with it. That's tough. That's hard. Because you can name some names for me, and I would probably go to a negative place. And I'm sure if I knew enough of your stories, we could all go through some names and say, oh, there's still some resentment there. There's still some anger there. We've got to find a way to deal with those things. And so that's definitely something we've got to deal with. We are not allowed to quarrel over things. We have to find a way to harmonize. We have to find a way to live together in that harmony. So finally, if you're a believer, you must take care to walk in the will of God, both in action and thought. When the day of judgment comes, if we live the way that we're supposed to live, we won't have anything of which we should be ashamed. Remember, we will give an account to God. So to wrap this up, these practical sermons are easy to conclude. Everybody knows what we're supposed to do by the time we get done with this, and so they're very practical. One, there's no excuse for a judgmental attitude. Paul makes that abundantly clear. Well, it also seems embedded in the text that there's one other thing. We have to take care in our personal lives. You know, there's this protection. I'm going to live according to the convictions that God has put in my life and no one else can judge me. But doesn't that mean I need to take a lot of care about those convictions and discern what God wants in my life? So I think the other clear application that we can walk away with this from is that there is no excuse for an apathetic attitude. We cannot just be lazy about how we live. We've got to look to the Lord in every situation because it all does matter. We've got to depend on Him. Now we're going to have a hymn of invitation and right after that we're going to take the Lord's Supper. Uh, so, so don't run away. Let's have a hymn of invitation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time to gather together. We thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, when it seems so clear. We've got to live according to your commands. We've got to follow the Spirit where you didn't clearly command us. And we don't need to judge anyone else. I pray that you help us to be faithful to that. Thank you for this day. And I pray that we walk out of here encouraged and ready to serve you, freed from the burden of other people's judgment, and also free to know that we don't have to judge anyone else. Thank you for giving us this day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.